I told my class uh, that on, on Friday, I said, hey, y'all come and hang out. If you don't have a church, come and hang out. And uh, I said, there's only one person I get nervous speaking in front of, and that's Pastor Adam McCain, uh, because he's so good. You, you understand what I'm telling you? And not only that, <laughs> and, and, and I could, I've watched him take over, and he can at any moment, but I can tell you this. Uh, this is my church. This is my home. This is not what we base out of. This is not somewhere we go when I'm in town. This is our, our, my kids are in the children's ministry. My wife comes to everything. I mean, I, there's so much involved. I remember when we were meeting in the Cedar Hill Rec Center, and we did a 6 p.m. service every Sunday for like ever and one day. I mean, it was, it was a long time, and so this, has been, this isn't just something new. You've probably seen us coming in and out. We normally sit towards the back. Uh, probably because I'm either getting off a plane and coming straight here and running a little bit late or something like that. But this is my church. And I'm telling you, I have made you famous everywhere I go. I talk about church on the hill like it's the best thing because it is. Like we're doing something that matters. I talk about it all the time. I'm telling you, I brag up. There are people who know about you that you don't even know. That's creepy and cool all at the same time. And uh, I can tell you this. I remember when my wife and I, we were, I, I was selling cars on the internet for a dealership here, and Pastor Adam was meeting with her and I uh, to get us ready before we became missionaries to Sri Lanka, and I remember we were sitting in, in my Mercedes Benz at that point, I remember we were sitting there, don't think I drive that now, okay, I got four kids, all right, so, um, so I remember we were sitting there, and I said, Pastor, I'm ready for the work of the ministry, I'm going to go in the ministry, and he looked around, and he said, you sure you want to go in the ministry, like, you sure? You, he's looking around my car. Are you sure you want to go in the ministry? I want to go because there, there ain't no money in the ministry. And he was right. There is none. I mean, that was, there doesn't even have to be prophetic to do that. But I, I'm telling you, I have been mentored, ministered to, corrected, built, encouraged, pastored, led, counseled by this man and this woman. And I feel blessed to call them our pastors. Come on, do you love pastors Adam and Jamie? They're amazing. We love them. We love them. We love them very, very much. But... Listen, I, I'm no stranger to this house, so I'm just gonna tell, I'm just gonna jump right in. But let me just tell, let me just set a prerequisite. I don't believe in quiet church. I believe a quiet church is a dead church. Are you with me? And listen, if you like your church quiet, you do not want to go to heaven, because there's gonna be one loud Mexican up there making as much carne asada as possible and making as much worship and noise as possible. So we might as well have heaven on earth this morning right here in the service. Are you with me? Is that okay? Come on, listen. If you I believe the Word of God deserves a response, all right, and not, not just something that's entertaining. So talk back to me, or you're going to see this Mexican with him, I get real insecure, all right? And I'm going to tell you, let me just let you in on Hispanic preachers. We only have one speed, top speed, all right? So just, I just want you to keep up with me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. Yeah. Say, come on, somebody. Say, come on, somebody. Yeah, you don't even know what you said. You think you're praying in tongues. You got baptized right there. All right. Are you ready for the Word? Yeah. All right. Turn on your Bible. Turn on your Bible and go to Daniel chapter 6. Yes, I know what generation I'm talking to. Turn on your Bible and go to uh, Daniel chapter (laughs) chapter 6. And for the sake of time, find 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to have lunch in Daniel chapter 6, but we're going to get dessert in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now let me give you some background here before we read in Daniel uh, so you know what's happening. We're going to kind of parachute in the middle of a situation. Daniel has been carried off. Uh, into Babylon. Now, Babylon is the ruling known empire of the entire world. 
And several times Daniel is given opportunities to defile himself to paganism and give himself over to witchcraft and demonic activity. But he stands his ground. I, lo- I love somebody who, who can take a stand, who, who doesn't have to stand on a pastor's word or a preacher's message, but can stand on their own two feet with their word of God, can stand on their own faith. Are you with me? And what I love about Daniel is he's talented. He's gifted. But I, lo- I love talented and gifted people, but he has some class. Like, I love that you're good at something, but at least be humble about it. Are you with me? And, and Daniel's very honoring. And, and this type of uh, lifestyle and attitude catapults him to the top of leadership in the entire Babylonian empire. So this is what's interesting about Daniel. So Daniel is in this moment where he has garnered himself a great position of authority. And then watch what happens. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It says, It pleased King Darius to set, the king, to set over the kingdom 120 rulers to be over the whole kingdom. And over these 120, he was going to put three governors, of whom Daniel was going to be one of the three, that the rulers would give account to these three so the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself. Say that with me. Distinguished himself. Say it one more time. It says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, the rulers, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to set him over the entire realm. Look up at me for a second. I love this about Daniel because he set himself apart. Now you have to ask the question, how did he do this? Well, I'll tell you how he did it. Daniel chapter 1 verse 20 says, In all matters of wisdom and justice, Daniel was found to be ten times greater than every advisor, magistrate, ruler, every councilman that he had around him. He was ten times greater. Now let me paint this picture for you. This would be equivalent to today that you are about to go into a courtroom and present your case and you don't have an attorney. In fact, your opponent, uh, your, uh, the, the prosecutor, your, the, your opponent is an Ivy League, Harvard grad, top of the class uh, graduate and they are presenting their case against you. Yet you out-strategize them, you out-argue them, you outlast them, you outthink them and they have all the degrees and the pedigree and the last name yet you have a covenant with God and that's all you ever had. This is what this is happening right now. That's all Daniel has. Are you following me? Now look at this. Look at verse 4. So it says, The governors and rulers sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find nothing, not even a fault, because he was faithful, nor were there any error fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it concerning the law of his God. Let me paraphrase this for you for just a second. What they're really saying is, we can't find anything wrong with Daniel except he loves God way too much. That's literally what they're saying. I pray that if you're guilty of something, it's that you're passionate and you have a burning desire for the Lord's presence. Are you with me? And listen, you know you're doing effective Christian work. You're doing things for the kingdom, not when the church has managed you. It's when the world wants to pick a fight with you. Are you with me? That's when you know you're being effective. Are you following me? Come on, talk to me. Right? All right, keep reading with me. Look at verse 6. It says, And these governors and rulers petitioned before the king and said this to King Darius. King Darius lived forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the rulers, the counselors, advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. That whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, will be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Let's pray for just a moment. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be poured out and flooded in every heart. Lord, I thank you that you've assembled your church together, that there's a voice 
there's a rising tide, there's an answer, there's a response team, and it's called Church on the Hill. And I thank you that you have situated them in the right city for the right time, for the right moment. It's not an accident that this might be their first service, it's not going to be their last. It's not an accident that they've been serving because God's got promotion ahead of you. But Lord, I thank you right now that we are not setting our sights on small goals, God. We want citywide, nationwide transformation on what you're going to do. And so, Lord, I speak to this atmosphere, and I say that you are full of faith, and you are full of hope, and you are full of peace, and you are full of power. And I take every limit and every restriction and every barrier, every demonic harassment that has come on your life, and I break that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would begin to establish a fresh hunger on the inside of your people. And Lord, you begin to use them in ways that are unique to everyone else. But it has been lifestyle. It has been natural since the day they were born. Begin to set them up for moments and key moments of opportunity to advance your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 I'm calling this message, Distinguish Yourself. Distinguish Yourself. My wife, who was just here, we just... We're about to celebrate 13 years of marriage. We have four kids. I'm excited. Yes, we have four. You heard that right. Four. Four. That, the last one was a, a, lot, a big surprise. One trip to Brazil. That's all it took. And here we go. So we got four, four sweet babies. And I remember when my wife and I, we, were, we didn't have any children. We were living in Sri Lanka as missionaries. And I remember this was in the middle of a civil war. It was intense. I remember... Gunshots going off, suicide bombers bombing stuff, people, uh, or the, the, the terrorist group shooting mortar shells close to where we lived in the city, and it was intense. And not only that, then you had Buddhist extremists who were trying to find missionaries and pastors to, to torture them, kill them, cut them up into little pieces, spread them all over the city, and nothing would be done. I mean, it was heavy persecution. And so then my wife comes to me one day, my sweet wife, she comes to me and she says, you know what, I feel like God is telling us that we need to start having kids. We have got to have kids. And I looked at her like this. Are you, kid- Are you serious? You- they're trying to kill us. And you want to make more of us. That's not the way this works. She's like, I don't know. I just feel like the Lord's saying we need to start having kids. So I did what any Christian does when they want to dodge a situation. And I want to tell them no, but you don't want to say no. What did I say? Let's pray about it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. You've been to church long enough. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So she said, I think we need to have kids. I said, let's pray about it. So of course I didn't pray about it. Now, listen, let me just help some of you out. Those of you who haven't been in the church longer, maybe in the small group, you go to your small group leader and you say, hey, it'd be an awesome idea if you did this. And your small group leader goes, let's pray about that. What they just told you is no. That's what they just told you. Now, if they start with bless your heart, but bless your heart means that's stupid. And let's pray about it. No. So I told my wife, well, bless your heart. No, I'm kidding. I told, I told, her, I told her, well, let's pray about it. Well, I didn't pray about it. For two weeks, I'm, I kid you not, every, every morning I'd get up and I'd meet with the Lord. I'd w- take one step into my prayer closet. I'd, become, I, I'd just get in His presence. I'd be praying, and then the Lord would bring it up. I want to talk about your kids. No, Lord, I want to talk about revival. I want to talk about how you're going to spread just wildfire of power and passion and, and, and consecration. Of course, He'd bring it up the next day. Hey, let's talk about your kids. And, I, and, you know, I'd sit there and say, no, let's talk about church leadership. God, we've got to raise up leaders. I'm praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. I'm doing what you told me to do. Let's talk about your kids. No, Lord, I, really what I want you to, Lord, would you just ex, expound on this verse for me right here? I am literally dodging the situation. I'm Jesus juking Jesus. I don't even know how I did that, but I did that. And I remember on the 14th day, I took one step into my prayer closet, and I feel the Holy Spirit shout this in me, just right at me. I take one step, and he goes, I need your son on the earth now. 
You don't have to yell at me like that, okay? You could have just said it. I don't know what your problem is. You need to calm down, Mr. Self-Control. You ever had, I'm telling, and then he repeated it, and, and with more intensity. I need your son on the earth now! And I, I'm telling you, it shocked me. Now, I believe in quick obedience. It ain't a marriage conference, but hey, you know. Sure enough, she came home pregnant with our, with our oldest, our son. You know, I'm willing to bet that when you were born, I'm willing to bet this, that when you sucked your first breath, that all of heaven said, they're on the earth now. She is on the earth now. He is on the earth now. That dream, that vision, that strategy, that destiny, that purpose, they're on the earth now. We're not going to have delays. We're going to start taking over. We're going to start taking ground. We're going to start interrupting the plans of the enemy. Are you following me? God's plan has always been, you're on the earth now. If God wanted you born in another season, you would have been born then, but you're here now. Which tells me you're not next, you're now. Are you with me? If you're going to distinguish yourself, you need to understand you have a purpose over your life. And it's not just to be the best in your area of skill. It is to distinguish yourself, set yourself apart from all the others in a godly manner. I think a lot of times we, we feel like we can't set ourselves apart because when God gives us an assignment, we feel like we're not ready. You ain't never going to be ready. Now, one time did he ever say, hey, you're going to be ready. Don't worry about it. Baby, I got you. You're going to be ready. He never once said that. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And in that moment, I'll tell you. What to, listen, the Bible's not full of people that had a plan. Are, are you kidding? Are, listen, Noah, go build a boat where there's no water. David, go kill that giant with no armor. Moses, just hit the rock and, or speak to the rock and water's going to come out. Either you're smoking too much of what you're selling. Oh, you probably heard God because he's that extreme in the way that he distinguishes you. Are you following me? Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to distinguish yourself. I'm here to tell you that it, it, this is what God wants to start to set you up to do. The first thing you're going to do, listen, distinguish yourself. Let me give you three things. The first thing is this. You need to be ten times greater. Ten times greater in everything. Look, are we ten times greater? I'm talking about, are you ten times greater than horoscopes? Come on, church. Are you 10 times greater than prescriptions? Are you 10 times greater than prognosis, diagnosis, dialysis? Are you 10 times, listen, are you 10 times more gentle? Are you 10 times more kind? Are you 10 times more generous? It's quiet up in here. Don't do that to me. Some of you are like, oh, man, we're going to have to repent after this message right here. Are you 10 times more patient than the world? No, Pastor Chris, I'm patient. Really? Let's go watch you in traffic. Not in the HOV lane. You know, in the HOV lane, you feel like you can talk trash a little bit. You pass, <laughs> get somebody, have a friend, go to church. You know what I'm saying? You try. <laughs> Are you 10 times greater? This is what God is calling us. Daniel, under an old covenant, was able to separate himself up to 10 times greater. How much more on this side of the cross? How much more now that we're spirit-led, spirit-empowered, spirit-engineered people? Come on, didn't you in love the last series, Dancing with the Stars, about how we want to encounter the presence of God through the Holy Spirit and then be led by the Holy Spirit? How do you think this happens? Ten times greater. If you want to distinguish yourself, number one, you need to understand, you need to be ten times greater. I, 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 I'm watching that we have a lot of sizzle and not a lot of substance anymore. We can make a lot of noise, but we don't have a lot of the world's attention anymore. But I believe that the tides are turning. I believe a divine turnaround is on the way, and your name is a part of that assignment. I, I really believe that we're turning a corner. In fact, I believe that God is going to start to trust you 
your family, your job, everything in your life with key moments, they're going to start to turn things in your family. They're going to break generational curses and thought processes and the lies of the enemy off of your family's life. All because you dedicated yourself to staying with him and you were ten times greater. Here's the, here's the second thing. If you want to be ten times greater, no, I'm sorry, if you want to distinguish yourself, number one, you've got to be ten times greater. Number two is you've got to guard your source. Here, here's Daniel. The threat now, they have figured Daniel out. They're saying he, he don't have a background. He don't have a degree. He don't come from money. He don't have a family name. He, he don't have history. He don't have connections. All he has is this relationship with his God. So now they know if I can interrupt Daniel's relationship, then I got him. I, if I can cut him off from his source, then I have everything that makes him what he is. So now the trap is you can't pray to anybody except the king. Now, this is an old tactic of the enemy. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This, the enemy, the Bible says this, to be aware of the devil's schemes. Because he is not creative. And I feel, I just sense this right now. I feel like there's some people in the room that think that the enemy is always one step ahead of you. Like you live like you're two steps behind him. And for some reason you feel like he knows more about your future than you do. That's not, he's not omnipresent. He's not in the beginning and the end. He's not omnipotent. He's not any of that. Listen, what he recognizes, here's what he recognizes, is he recognizes dedication, character, spiritual integrity. He recognizes passion and supernatural engagement. He recognizes anointing because what was on Moses comes on you. And what was on Abraham Lincoln comes on you. Are you following me? What comes on a Winston Churchill comes on you. And the enemy starts going, I rem- I've seen that prayer life before. I saw it in David. And she's worshiping just like he did. And I know what happened. I started losing I started losing giants and I started losing kingdoms. And I'm not fitting to do that again. So what does he do? He starts to send this one trap, cut you off from your source. It's amazing how we have a lot of spiritual activity but no spiritual authority. That's a good place to say. I mean, that's really good, Pastor Chris. That was phenomenal. Just incredible. Guard your source. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's... Verse 3, look at this. I want to show you this. This is interesting. It's a very familiar piece of passage, but this is what's happened to Daniel. might possibly happen in, in your life right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Watch this, verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Everybody say that with me. Imaginations. Say it one more time. All right, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice what these imaginations are doing. They are erasing the knowledge of God in your life. I'm going to get to this in a second. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What's interesting about this word imaginations in the original language, which is the Greek, it is the Greek word diatribo, which we get an English word called diatribe, D-I-A-T-R-I-B-E, diatribe. What's interesting about a diatribe is this is not modern-day vernacular. This is not colloquialisms that we use. And nobody walks around going, hey, diatribe, baby, diatribe, diatribe. You don't tell them to do that. In fact, the only time you'll hear about a diatribe is either in a law school or a courtroom. Because lawyers are trained to diatribe. What does diatribe mean? It means a forceful and bitter verbal attack against someone or something. So what are these imaginations? They are forceful and bitter verbal attacks that come in your thought life and come in your self-talk. And what do they do? They erase the knowledge of God on your heart. Isn't it interesting for some of us, it is so hard to keep the message that Pastor Adam brings every week in our hearts all the way to Tuesday. Diatribe. 
Are you following me? Diatribes will intimidate. I've watched the greatest leaders come under a diatribe and begin to become intimidated and spineless where they used to be outspoken and stood for some. All of a sudden they're reserved and they figure they've got more to lose than they have to gain. And What, what happened? Diatribe. This is, listen, you're like, where else is it in the Bible? Do you remember when David shows up against Goliath? Goliath has been coming out for 40 days. His, his diatribe is, your God is dead. He's not going to deliver you. He's not a living God. Send out your best fighter. If he kills me, we'll, the, 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 the Philistines will be your servants. But if I kill him, then Israel has to serve the Philistines. So nobody's stepping up to this giant. So David's coming with some cheese and crackers. You remember this? Right? And he's visiting his brothers. And at the same time David arrives is the same time Goliath opens his mouth. Your God's dead. He's not a living God. He's a dead God. He's not going to deliver you. And David loses his mind. What did he say? Say it again. Say it again. I wish you would. I wish you would. Say, we're going to set it off in here. I'll tell you. I'm coming. Give me some rocks. I'm good with rocks. I'm telling you, that's what David did. And David's sitting there. And this is interesting because people are like, David, David, come over here. What are you doing? David, David, David. Listen, you're new. Did you hear what he said? I, we, we heard. He's been doing that for 40 days. Wait, no, somebody going to do something? No, no, listen. He's been doing that for four days. In fact, the king has offered everything. He offered, we don't have to pay no taxes, and we can marry one of his daughters if we kill that giant over there. And David's like, wait a minute, say that again. <laughs> say it one more, one more time. Say it one more time. Read the story. He hasn't repeated it twice. Say it again. And this guy's like, listen, David, you kill that giant over there, you're going to get some money and a honey if you kill that giant right over there. <laughs> Tell him. That's the Chris Estrada Latin version. So... So what is, the, you understand why this happened? We know the rest of the story. He goes, knocks him out with a rock, and then cuts his head off. How was David able to do this when trained men couldn't even do it? He wasn't under the spell of a diatribe. That's why you cannot rely on your skill and your training. You can't rely on all the things that you have been pedigreed and built and developed. At some point, that is going to end, and you're going to have to step out on your own water and on your own faith and stand up and say, I'm still going to be connected to my sword, even if it's illegal, even if it takes my life, even if it puts me in uncomfortable situations. I'm going to guard my swords because I'm here to distinguish myself. Are you hearing me? I, I don't, I, I just, I have found that, and I sense this right now, I, I have found that some of us are just convinced we're overwhelmed. Like, I've taken on too much. That's not true. It's not that you've taken on too much. It's that you've taken on too little of what really strengthens you. Perhaps, maybe, you are called to greater levels, greater places, bigger opportunities. But the enemy would love for you to stay in just this small mindset, in this poverty mentality called, I can only do it here and not there. That's a diatribe, a forceful and bitter verbal attack against someone or something. You know, I find uh, on this, especially right now, what's going on in the earth is, here's a diatribe, a current one. Who I am is not enough. What I have to offer is not enough. Diatribe. Like God left something out. Like he's Ikea. Like he forgot to give you one piece. You know what I'm saying? Here's another one. We are satisfied without fresh revelation. Here's the danger of this, is that we will live off a second-hand revelation and not have first-hand revelation. You say, what do you mean by this? You know, my Bible says man shall not live off a podcast alone, YouTube alone. 
I, don't, I, I appreciate men and women and voices we have in the body of Christ, but at the end of the day, it's going to have to be your ability to recognize God's voice on your own and not have to have the God, God voice through your pastor or through your favorite author or through so-and-so who's got a spiritual itinerary and a book deal. You're going to have to stand on your own two feet. Listen, do you realize who did the serpent come after in the garden? Did he come after the one with first-hand revelation or second-hand revelation? God, Adam heard from God, do not eat from this tree. Adam then shared that with his wife. She didn't have secondhand, or she didn't have firsthand revelation. Could it be that you're living under unnecessary attacks because you're not guarding your source? Diatribe. I'm just, I'm just pointing them out. I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to get them out there. Just trying. Listen, what about this one? I find this is a diatribe, especially on a younger generation. Is that because somebody is successful in music? or a celebrity, or has some type of status, that makes them an authority on how you should live your life. I appreciate rapper so-and-so, and celebrity so-and-so, and athlete so-and-so, but they have, they're, you're good in your field, but don't tell me how to have a good marriage. You shouldn't be telling me who to vote for. You shouldn't be telling me how to conduct my life. Are you following me? You shouldn't be defining success for me. Diatribe. It's a diatribe. What, what about this one? I need to be in a relationship right now. Like, I'm waiting on my Boaz, and I just, I realized, that there, and there is nothing. all the ladies are like, I wish a Boaz would show up. But listen, you better be Ruth before you meet Boaz. I'm just going to leave that way. Good thing we're not taking a love offering after this. And I, I'm telling you, could it be, listen, I feel this single mothers. I was raised by a single mother until she met my stepfather. And he is phenomenal. Texts me all the time, praying for me. I love Hyman. That's my dad, Hyman. I love him very much. But I have found single mothers, you hear me, don't think that your children are only going to get half of the raising God intended them to have because you don't have a man in the house. And quit trying to father your kids. You mother your kids and the Spirit of God will raise your kids in a fatherly manner. You don't try to make up, same for single fathers. You're not less than, diatribe. What, what, about, what about this one? This, this, this one's interesting. I, because, and I think it's interesting because um, we're so addicted to this. Readiness. I've touched on this a lot already, but I think a lot of times God comes at moments that we're like, we're not ready. That's exactly what he wants. What I have found is God loves a surprise attack. But when you start partnering with, I'm not ready, diatribe. Are you following me? Let me, let me give you one more. Let me just give you one more. Your spouse, my spouse should be a better source of encouragement for me. That might be true. But there's only one place that you're going to get the type of courage that you possibly need. And I love my wife. And I remember one time we were in the middle of this argument. Like, and, and all the best arguments happen on the way to church. How many know what I'm talking about? Like the good ones. Some of you take two cars to church just to stay married. Come on, be honest. I know I do. I'm telling you. I'm just don't, I don't know why. I start too much stuff. I remember one time Eric and I were in the car. And we're arguing on the way to church. And I turned to my wife. And, I, and I, said, I said, my heart does not belong to you. And she turned around and she's like, yo, that's good, baby. Preach that. That's good. That's, that's real good. And I said, that is good, isn't it? That's good. I want broader message about What I meant with my intention was, watch me. She has my heart here. But my heart belongs to Jesus. And she can never substitute who he is in my life. Maybe, just maybe, you're going into limited resources and limited sources in your life because there's a diatribe in your life that says, they need to be everything to me. No, he is everything. And let me tell you something. When you got married, you, there is no, I married the one. I'm looking for my one. There's none of this, all right? 
When you get married, what happens is the grace of God comes on that marriage and you can become the one to that person because you made covenant with God. Are you following me? This diatribe. I think a lot of us have dealt with this stuff. I'm never going to get healed. I'm never going to, like, I'm, by the way, I'm walking around because I tore my ACL completely. It was awesome. I did it like a boss. So I made it look good. And so that's what I've been told. But I think a lot of us, we, we feel like we can't hold on to our healing. Because we'll get prayed for during the section that we have in our service. We'll get prayed for, okay, I got healing. But it doesn't stay with you to the parking lot. Diatribe. Don't lose it. Are, are you with me? Here's the last thing. If you're going to distinguish yourself, then number three, distinguish yourself. You know, I love Daniel. He finds out the writing is signed, and he does something what does something that we just probably wouldn't expect if we were living in that moment. The Bible says he goes home, he goes to the top room in his house, and he begin, opens up all the windows, and he doesn't play once, twice, but three times that day. And what's interesting is he knew what was going to happen, so obviously they come, they arrest him, and they're about to throw him in the lion's den. Now, every time I've watched a movie, a documentary, a, a miniseries on TV, they always cover Daniel. And every time that I've seen Daniel pass around, he's always like, they're trying to push him in, and he's like scared to go in. Like he's afraid, and they're having to push him, and he doesn't want to go, and he, he's freaking out, and he doesn't want to get in there. And, but that's, not, that's just not who I read in the book of Daniel. In fact, I'm sure Daniel didn't walk in with all kinds of insecurity. Daniel knew what was going to happen if he prayed. Even just once. But he was intentional. Oh, they didn't see me the first time. I'm going to pray again. If they didn't hear me that second time. I'm going to pray loud and do it again longer. And then they found him. Are you following me? I don't think Daniel went in afraid. I'm sure Daniel was walking in. They're like, get, get your hands off. Don't, don't touch me. Open a door. Open a door. He walks into this little prison cell with all these lions in it. I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody listen up. I, got not, I run this here. You ain't heard about Daniel? Big D from the block. I want a sandwich, and I'm taking a nap, and none of y'all going to do it. Shut your mouth. Stop where I'm talking. I'll tell you who runs this now. I'm telling you, that's how Daniel was. Or maybe they, maybe they did throw him in, and Daniel's like, hey, listen, toss me in. Toss me. Maybe, maybe he just went, I don't know. But I know he wasn't scared. Why would you have that kind of confidence? You may be throwing me to lions, but I brought a bigger lion in here with me. He's called the Lion of Judah, and I have not disconnected from my source. And what you need to understand about me is that I'm going to stay committed even if it costs me my life. Are you distinguishing yourself? It's not talent that makes you better. I have never been qualified for anything I've ever done. Ever. Like ever. I have never had the right degree. You know, when I went to Christ for the Nations, one of the things that they really had to pray about was bringing in somebody who came but never graduated because it looked like I didn't finish. And then they started asking me, well, well, how come you didn't finish? Well, it wasn't that I finished. It's that your training is so good that I went out and started becoming a missionary and started being a salesman and then started being a youth pastor, and now we got an effective youth ministry. I think you all did good for me in one year. <laughs> and then what's entered the shock of my students' lives about two years ago was when they were calling up graduates, they called my name with them. I literally graduated from the Bible college I work at while I was working at it. Distinguish yourself. <laughs> Are you with me? What is it that Daniel knew? Daniel knew what David knew when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. Do not take your presence away from me. Right? Daniel knew what Moses knew when God offered him the promised land except God wasn't going with him. God, if you don't go with us, how will people know that we are different? What did he know? He knew that a covenant with God and a committed relationship with the Holy Spirit was going to set him apart above everything else. Are you with me?
Stand up with me this morning. I feel like there's a touch of God in the room. I, I, I'm excited because I got to watch the plane, uh, the, the plane. I got to watch the sun rise on a plane this morning. I just flew in, and uh, and and I just something, just this excitement, just came in me. I've been looking forward to this ever since Pastor Adam asked me, "Would you would you come?" I'm like, absolutely. I'll cancel something. And I, I I really mean this. I love it because one of the greatest places I feel like I can make an impact is right here at home. I, I get to be all over the world and. One of the hardest things about being a traveling evangelist, a speaker, is you don't really get to see the harvest. You get to be initiated, but you don't get to see it. And when I come here, there's this moment I get to see, man, look at what God's doing in our church. And I'm telling you, I feel like he's doing something significant in, in people's lives right now. You know, the greatest diatribe that could ever be is that God doesn't want you. It's a diatribe. It's a lie. Absolute lie. Let me help somebody out, friend. And this might be your first time. Let me help you out, please. Trust me enough to let me say this to your heart. God is not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with you right now. When God gets you, He knows everything He's getting. All your greatness, all your potential, all your purpose, and all the struggles, and all the fear, and all the, all the shortcomings. He knows everything. All the sin that's going on in your life. He knows all of it, and He still wants you. God hasn't changed his mind about you. And the diatribe is he doesn't want me. He's changed his mind. I've done too much. That's a lie. Absolute lie. And we can deal with that right now by there being a response. Would everybody bow their head and close their eyes? If you're in this place, and I mean this, if you're in this place and you have never given your life to the Lord, but you feel like something is pulling on you, you hear the voice within the voice. You know, you sense this pulling to this place of holiness and righteousness, but freedom and love. That is the work of Jesus going on in this room right now. And I'm telling you, you can get rid of that lie that says he doesn't want you. And you can experience a great relationship with him that has transformed many people in this room's life. Starting with me, I'm telling you. If you're in this room, you say, Pastor Chris, I want to get rid of this diatribe. I want to give my life to Jesus. And you've never done that with every head bowed, every eye closed, just a private moment between you and the Lord. Would you just shoot your hand up in the air for me? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Come on, raise your hand for me. Who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? We never at this church, we will never end a service where we don't give an opportunity for someone to give their life to Jesus. If that's you, come on, put one hand in the air so I know who I'm praying for. I understand you're making this. This is an eternal decision. This is a weighty decision. like everyone in here has a relationship with Jesus well then I want to get into what God's put in my heart that there are diatribes in this room that are going on and these diatribes could be a fear of failure I'm scared if I launch out in that business venture I'm going to fail that's a diatribe you're a child of God and even if it doesn't go the way that you planned it it'll still succeed some of you you have this fear of rejection on you you're scared you're going to be rejected God's going to break that because that's a diatribe. Maybe the fear of humili- uh, humiliation that you're going to fail and people are going to laugh at you and remember it and you'll be an embarrassment to everyone that loves you or knows you. That's a diatribe. Come on, I know that God has been identifying some things. Some of you are starting to see the, the clouds part. You're starting to see the veil lift. You're starting to realize, I am living under this lie. I will not put up with that anymore. I am a child of God and I want covenant again. I'm going to reattach myself. Erica, would you come up here? I want to have my wife pray for you this morning. 
I'm telling you, if there's someone in this room who has dealt with diatribes, who has prayed them off of her life and my life, it's my wife. And if she's in the room, I want to give her an opportunity to pray over you and minister a little bit. So I'm going to ask her to take the next 30 seconds, if she will, and just pray. Come on, if you say, Pastor Chris, I want to get rid of some diatribes. I'm tired of this going on in my life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Who are we praying for this morning that says you're ready to distinguish yourself? No more limits, no more restrictions. Come on, if that's you, raise your hand. All right, I want you to take, look, all these hands. Take that hand and put it on your heart. Right now, right now. Go ahead. Father, I thank you that you are here with us. Lord, I thank you for every honest heart here. I thank you that you see, God, your children. And I thank you that your love, God, is going to begin to cast out every fear. Father, every lie in the name of Jesus that's been plaguing, that's been tearing us down, that's been making us, God, fearful. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just declare a supernatural, Father, that the spirit of the living God would come upon them right now. In the name of Jesus, that they are bold as lions. Father, I cast down every fear of rejection. I cast down every fear of failure. I thank you, Father, that the spirit of fear that's been plaguing everyone in here, God, in the name of Jesus, would fall, Father, by the name of your voice. Father, right now, your voice would begin to speak in the name of Jesus, we command every lie to be broken. I thank you that your blood has set us free. That every captive that's been in this place, Father, right now that every captive is free. We just declare a spirit of freedom, Lord, in this place. I declare a spirit of freedom, Lord, in this place. I declare a spirit of victory. I th- declare a spirit of power. I declare a spirit of love and sound mind, Father, to wrap every heart to wrap every person in this place. Lord, I thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But right now, God, your power, your love, your sound mind, God, is being rooted in their heart right now. And they will have fruit, God. They will have fruit in their family. They will have fruit in their society. They will have fruit, God, in their career paths, God. Every career that they've been, Lord, afraid to even venture out, God. Father, right now that they would begin to step into your obedience they would step into your they would be in step with you holy spirit right now where they have been lacking where they have been delaying where they have been running from you father i just call them into the dance lord i call them forth into your into your presence and into your promises and i bless them now in the name of jesus in the name of jesus father i just agree with that no more lower level devils God is readying you for giants. He's getting rid of these diatribes because there's access to greater opportunities that are going to come on your life. And we just agree with it right now in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Thank you guys. for.